Welcome to Mystery Theater Old Time Radio, a podcast that takes you back to the golden age of radio, where the mysteries unfold in the shadows and the suspense keeps you on the edge of your seat. So grab your detective hats and get ready for another thrilling adventure. 10 p.m. B-U-L-O-V-A, Bulova Watch Time. For supreme accuracy, expert design, and outstanding value, choose a Bulova, masterpiece of fine watchmaking. W-E-A-F, New York. Lever Brothers, makers of Rinso, R-I-N-S-O, Soapy Rich Rinso, presents Boston Blackie, starring Chester Morris. Step on it, Steve. I got my foot on the floor now. You gotta do something, then we'll never lose that car that's chasing us. Don't talk. Lean out and see if you can hit a tire. Okay. Well? Missed. Hey, hey, watch that curve. I'll take care of the driving. Try it again. Uh, well, try and hold this bus steady, will you? I'm doing the best I can. I've been fighting this wheel for 20 minutes. Now, after I swing around that next curve, I'll slow up. Try and get that tire again. Okay. Here goes. I got her. I got her, Steve. She's heading right for the telegraph pole. What a crack up. Them plainclothes cops in that car ain't gonna interrupt another one of our hijacked jobs. Plainclothes cops? Those ain't no cops. The driver of the car that just wrapped around the telegraph pole is Boston Blackie. In a moment, we'll meet Boston Blackie. Enemy to those who make him an enemy. Friend to those who have no friend. But first, a fashion note for summer. The spotlight is certainly on cotton. And that's not just my idea. I was looking through a couple of those fancy fashion magazines, and every page had something about crisp, colorful cotton dresses, cotton evening things, daytime dresses, and so on. Well, speaking from the man's point of view, I'm for it. Those printed cottons are certainly mighty pretty. And speaking from the soapy rich Rinso's point of view, it's easy as a breeze to keep them crisp and colorful. Rinso's rich suds are gentle and safe for washable colors. Leave their bright colors gay and sparkling week after week. And it's so easy to do a Rinso wash, a short soaking, a few quick finger rubs on extra soil places, and your clothes are ready to rinse. Really Rinso white and Rinso bright, too. So next wash day, be sure you have Rinso on hand to give you a hand. And now... Here is Chester Morris as Boston Blackie. Tell me, Blackie, uh, how does your wrist feel, huh? Oh, just a slight sprain, Shorty. But we're lucky. We might have been killed when those thugs got our front tire last night. <laughs> I thought for a moment we were killed. Hey, Blanky, let's stay up here in your apartment and mind our own business for a while, huh? huh? At least until I get over that shaken up I got you. Well, we know. weren't looking for trouble. We were just driving along and... Yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I know. Always that and. <laughs> That's what gets us into more jams. All right, so we went for a drive. Nothing unusual in that? No, but why'd you have to notice that big sedan was parked right in front of a truck and two guys were holding up the driver? Well, I always feel sorry for the guy on the other end of a gun. Yeah, but listen, boy. If you want to listen to... You too, shorty. Up high, way up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I cover, Mike. Okay. So the crack-up didn't kill you guys, huh? 
boss sent us to find out. You have more lives than a cat, Blackie. Yes, I've got ten. That means you rats better look out. <laughs> hey, hey, that's good. Isn't it? Blackie, <laughs> it's a wonderful shorty. Uh, say, what are you mugs doing here? The boss didn't like the idea of you interfering with that hijack job last night. Oh, well, I don't like the idea of having my car wrecked either, Stooge. We ain't interested in what you like. We got a pretty good setup, Blackie. Well, I'm so glad. That's fine. Yeah, we got a lot of meat tied up, and we're getting good prices for it. Well, what do you want me to see me about? What? Or what's the catch? The boss wants to know if you want in on the racket. What? Yeah. You see, he don't want no more interference from you. That's the catch. Oh, black market, huh? Well, if I say no, what does the boss say? He says we should give you a little treatment. Oh, and by the way, who is your boss? Hmm. Never mind. Well, how do I know your boss is a reasonable guy? Hey, where are you going? Now, don't be scared, Stooge. You know, I always talk when I'm thinking. After all, you're the one that's got the gun. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, boys, I've finished thinking. I guess I have no choice, huh? Well, tell the boss I'll go along with him. <laughs> uh, now you're talking sense. Yeah, well, I guess that makes us partners, huh, boys? Uh, say, how about a little drink on that? Yeah. Yeah, I'll take a snort. Fine. I, I'm sorry. All I've got is bourbon. That's okay with me. Uh-huh. With, uh, with soda? Yeah, yeah. Well, come on, boys. I'll build you a couple. Say when, Steve. When? Look, uh, I gotta hold this gun on you, Blackie. It ain't that I'm uh, impolite. It's uh, just that I'm careful. <laughs> you flatter me. How much soda? Gee, I never had it with soda before. Really? You haven't? Well, you're going to get it. All right, Shorty, I'll take care of this one. <laughs> okay, boss. Okay, I got his gun. Why, you... Right, take it easy, Steve. Now, cut out the nonsense. I've got your gun. Now, be a good boy. You wanted an answer for your boss, huh? Well, you have it. Now, get out of here. And in the future, boys, remember, never drink during business hours. <laughs> Did you know that it was 103 in needles yesterday? That's an enlightening breakfast conversation, Shorty. Thanks. Never mind, I'll get it. Boston Blackie? That's right. Sorry to disturb you so early in the morning. Well, uh, won't you come in? Thank you. Uh, Shorty, another cup of coffee for Miss... Uh, uh... Parker. June Parker. Well, Miss Parker, you're a charming eye-opener for so early in the morning. Boston Blackie. I need your help. And I'm glad to know you, too. As a matter of fact, you've already helped me. I have? Mm-hmm. My driver tells me you helped one of my trucks get through the other night. One of your trucks? Yes. Well, uh, I, I don't quite understand. <laughs> this may sound a little strange to you, but I have a ranch and I raise stock. Yes? I've sold a lot of cattle, only I can't deliver it to my customers. Oh, I see. And, and your trucks are being hijacked by that black market gang, huh? Yes. That's why I came to you. Will you help me get them through? <laughs> you know, that's the second offer to go in the meat business that I've had in the last 24 hours. Why don't you go to the police, Miss Parker? I'm sure Inspector Faraday would be glad to give you protection. I've gone to the police, but my trucks still aren't getting through. Oh, you're really in a jam. Uh, those black market thugs are worse than any racketeers we've ever had in this country. I've been offered any amount if I'd sell to the black market. But I won't, not for anything. Of course you won't. Then you'll help me? Now, look, Miss Parker, it isn't only helping you, it's helping me. It's helping everybody. The black market is one of the biggest things we've ever been up against. 
And you're fighting that black market. You know, you're the kind of a girl who's helping win this war. Uh, coffee's ready, boss. Forget the coffee, Shorty. We've got a job to do. The biggest job we've ever done. That's you, Matthews? Yes, Inspector. Yeah, I'll be with you in a minute. Got to finish writing this letter. Hey, Matthews, how do you spell stupidity? Um, F-A-R-A-D-A-Y. F-A-R-A... Hey, oh, it's you, Blackie. <laughs> I should have known. Matthews can't spell. All right, what do you want here? I don't know. What have you got here? One of these days, we're going to have you here, in a cell. <laughs> Faraday, you're nothing but an idealist. <laughs> you know, I've been lonely. Uh... You haven't been bothering me lately. <laughs> What's the matter? Don't you love me anymore? I love you anymore. I love you like poison <laughs> ivy. What do you want, Blackie? Well, Faraday, my life has been threatened. Oh. I want police protection. <laughs> You're wonderful. <laughs> you want police protection, Blackie. Stop Now, it. wait a minute, Faraday. I'm serious. <laughs> There's a gang after me, and they're not fooling. <laughs> Poor little Blackie. I'd like to see the gang that you couldn't handle. What is this, a gang? No, 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 wait a minute. I'm on the level. <laughs> Blackie, you're breaking my heart. You've never been on the level with me in your life, so why should I start believing you now? Oh. Oh, so you won't give me police protection, huh? Don't make me laugh. Okay, Faraday. That's all I wanted to know. Blackie wants protection. <laughs> no! Got him, Mike. I better get him into the car. Come on. <clears throat> Let's get out of here. Boston Blackie's going for a long trip. Looks as though Boston Blackie's in a pretty tight spot, but Blackie is also a pretty resourceful individual, so just wait and see what happens. You know, we used to have a nice hand-embroidered motto hung up on our wall that said, true friends are like diamonds, precious and rare. How well that applies in wartime to the washing machine. Yes, ma'am, if you're lucky enough to have a washer, keep in mind that it's your true friend and take care of it. One way is to follow the advice of the makers of 33 leading washers and use Rinso. You see, soapy rich Rinso gets out more dirt. And with such a short run, it's easy not only on your clothes, but on your washer. And Rinso results are something to see. All your white clothes gleaming, sparkling. Sure, Rinso white. And colors washable, Rinso bright. So be sure to put Rinso, R-I-N-S-O, right on top of tomorrow's shopping list. And now, back to Chester Morris as Boston Blackie. Well, Boston Blackie, intent on breaking up a black market meat ring, was waylaid by thugs as he was leaving police headquarters where Inspector Faraday had just refused him police protection. Blackie has been thrown into a car. Hey, Steve, he's coming too. Must be this country air. Stop the car. Okay. Let's get this over with. Yeah, I'll take the gag out of his mouth. Yeah, nobody can hear him out here. Yeah, thanks, Steve. I want to get my necktie back anyway. It's the best one I got. My girl gave it to me. She's a redhead. <laughs> Says it matches her hair. <laughs> you know, it's too bad she ain't a brunette. Yeah, you just don't like redheads. Hey, never mind putting on your tie now. Leave it there in the seat and let's get this job over with. 
Come on, Blackie. Can you talk? Well, what is this, the end of the line? No. This is where we transfer. Okay, boys, what's the score? Two to nothing, and you're the nothing. <laughs> Blackie, can you stand up? Well, I, I'm not so sure. Well, you better stand up while you can, Blackie. You're going to be laying down for a long time. You have a charming sense of humor. You had a chance to join up with us, Blackie. You nixed it, and now you're getting rubbed out. Oh, boss's orders, huh? Yeah, and besides, it gives us a chance to get even for that soda trick yesterday. I see. Get over that fence, Blackie. <laughs> Say, what is this, an obstacle course? Yeah, and you're the obstacle. Hey, Steve. Hey, what's that over there? Huh? Ah, uh, nothing. It's just a cow. <laughs> that happens to be the cow's husband, gentlemen. Gee, a bull. Hey, if a bull sees red, he goes crazy. <laughs> what's the matter? You scared, Mike? Ma, we got to finish our job. Okay, Blackie. Anything you want to say? Any uh, last request? Well, um, well, I'd like to start running, gentlemen, if you don't mind, and I'm sure you would too. Well, uh, that ball's coming this way and fast. Hey, hey, he's after me! Hey, hey, he's after me! Thanks for the gun, Steve. Hey, let's get out of here, will you? Uh, don't worry, Steve. The bull's after Mike. You see, I stuck his own red necktie in his back pocket. Who's there? Uh, it's me, June. Boston Blackie. Oh, Blackie, just a minute. Well, please come in. I'm glad to see you, Blackie. <laughs> Thanks. I'd like some information, June. These gents we're up against are playing a little rough. Blackie, what happened? Well, I went to Faraday for protection. He didn't believe I needed it. Next thing I knew, I was tapped on the head and ended up in a cow pasture playing matador. Blackie. Now, look, June, all I want to know is just one thing. You told me that somebody tried to get you to sell your cattle to the black market ring. I want to know who that somebody is. Well, uh, I can't tell you. I, I don't know. Oh, if you're being afraid, don't be. I'll see that nothing happens to you. And it's also a little bit important that nothing happens to me, too. Now, look, all I want to know is... Who approached you on that black market deal? Well, some men who said they represented a Mr. George Williams. Williams? Well, who's he? I don't know him. He has a wholesale meat plant on Johnson Street. Yes. But, Blackie, I, I, I've never seen him. Shh. Quiet, June. What's the matter? The doorknob. It's turning. Oh. Now, I'll be in back of the door when it opens, but you keep on talking. Okay. Uh, but, Blackie, I... Oh, I don't know whether I can go to dinner with you or not. I, uh... Oh... Okay, drop those guns. Now, drop them fast. I'm right here in back of you. Better drop your gun, too, Steve. Well, you two matadors again, huh? <laughs> this is getting a little monotonous. How far did that bull chase you this morning? Uh, I'm a little fed up with you two guys. Uh, June? Yes, Blackie? Take the cord off those drapes. I want to tie up these two bullfighters. Then I've got to go over and see a man by the name of George Williams. Blackie, I, I'm afraid well, you I... You don't have to be afraid, June. Oh, when Blackie ties them up, they stay tied. And when I get through with this, you'd better call the police and have them pick up these mugs. And I gotta work fast. Hey, Miss Parker. You ain't gonna call no police. What? What do you mean? And besides, you're gonna untie us right now. Or else, the boss won't like it. You... You mean Mr. Williams? No, Miss Park. You see, uh, Williams ain't his name. His real name is Parker. 
Parker. Yeah. George Parker, your brother. Now, will you untie our hands? I don't know what you're talking about, Blackie. I operate a legitimate business here. I sell only at ceiling prices. I came up here to tell you I'm tired of being kicked around by those two mugs of yours. And also that you're going to lay off June Parker. June Parker? Who's she? Well, she's the girl you've been threatening. You know, the one that owns the truck she's been hijacking. But you won't do it anymore. You see, I'm taking you with me. You're taking me with you? That's right. You're going to be my insurance that from now on, this black market gang of yours is unemployed. What are you going to do with me? What's he going to do with you? He ain't going to do anything with you. Faraday, I'm glad you're here. Yeah, I'll bet you are. Inspector, my secretary had the good sense to call you. And I'm glad you got here so fast. Mm -hmm. What's Boston Blackie been up to now? He held me here in my office at the point of a gun, Inspector. (laughs) He was going to force me to go with him unless... Unless what? Unless I stopped selling meat at ceiling prices and went into the black market. Now, wait a minute, Faraday. That's ridiculous. You know that can't be right. I don't know nothing. Oh, you know a thing or two. You're just being modest. I'm a reputable merchant, Inspector. I've been in business for years. This blackie person wanted me to make this plant his headquarters for illegal meat sales. Now, Faraday, listen. He claims I pulled a gun on him. I don't even have a gun. It was in his hand when you came in the door, Inspector. With blackie, that don't make any difference. He can make anything disappear. Thanks. Someday I hope he goes to work on himself. This Williams is head of a black market ring. That's not true. Not only that, but he's got a couple of thugs that have an obsession about my collecting old age pensions. That's ridiculous. Please take Blackie with you, Inspector. I'll prefer charges. Now, wait a minute, Inspector. (laughs) I know I've tricked you, and we've been playing hide-and-go-seek for years. Go on. But I've never gone back on my word, now have I? That's right. And I'm not going to try any tricks. (laughs) I just want you to come with me to a young lady's apartment. Oh, now, Now, really, I I want you to meet two friends of Mr. Williams. Hmm. And if I can't prove that my story is true, well, I'll, I'll go downtown with you. Now, nothing could be fairer than that. Mm, eh, sounds all right. But then you can make anything sound okay. You want me to see a gal who'll set me right on this whole thing? That's right. Okay, Blackie. I'll give you a chance to square yourself, but remember, this better not be a runaround. This is the apartment, Inspector. Come on in. Who is it? Oh, it's me, June. It's Blackie. I'm here with Inspector Faraday. Hmm? Who? Inspector Faraday. Wait a minute. I'm coming. Well, hello. Hello, Mm -hmm. June. Uh, Would you mind telling the Inspector about that black market ring that threatened you? What black market ring? Well, you know that the... June. I'm Miss Parker. And who are you? That's all, Blackie. I've heard enough. June. Now, what happened to those two men I left tied up here at your apartment? Inspector, who is this man? Don't you know? He says he's a very dear friend of yours. Why, I've never seen him before in my life. (laughs) And now, will you excuse me, please? Okay, Blackie. We made a deal. This gal who was supposed to explain everything claims you never saw you before. Come on, let's go. No, I can't go with you, Inspector. I've I've got to find out what this is all about. Sorry, Blackie. Figure it out while you're waiting trial. Faraday, will you listen? This girl is lying, and I can prove it. If you give me time. Give you... I'll give you time, Blackie. You're coming with me. And keep your hands where I can see them. Now, come on over here to the telephone. I'm going to get you an escort downtown. Okay, Inspector, but you're making a great mistake. According to you, I always make them. So what's the difference? Remember, Blackie, I'm keeping my eye and my gun on you. 
Get me police headquarters. Blackie, stop playing with that telephone cord. You make me nervous. I'm not playing with it, Inspector. Get, get that wire off my gun, Blackie. Hey, stop your twisting that gun. You're breaking my wrist. I'm sorry, Inspector. Now let go of the gun. You're going back yeah, on your word, Blackie. That's You're better. going back on your word. Now, you never did that before. Well, I'm sorry, but I've got to be free to get the head of that black market ring and put a ring right through his nose. Shorty? Hey, open up, will you, boss? Wait a minute. Come in, Shorty. Well, I... Oh. Oh, what are you doing here? Uh, she made me bring her down here to your waterfront hideout, boss. Well, that's fine. What do you mean she made you? She came to the apartment and she was crying. Oh. Boss, you know I can't stand to see a poor dame cry. Blackie, you've got to listen to me. Yeah. Yeah, I listened to you once. I know. I lied to Inspector Faraday, but I had to. Well, that's fine. Why don't you tell it to Faraday? I can't tell Inspector Faraday I lied. I can't. You can't do this. You can't do that. You sound like the Summer Sisters. Uh, why did you make Shorty bring you down here? So that I could beg you to please forget all about me and the black market ring. Oh, well, forgetting about you will be a pleasure. I don't blame you for feeling that way. But believe me, it's for the good of everyone for you to forget about all this. Believe you? <laughs> Are you kidding? You almost did once. Yeah, I almost died once, too. And I have no desire to try that again, either. You wanted to help me when I was in trouble, Blackie. I'm still in trouble. But the only way you can help me now is to drop this whole black market case. Mm -hmm. And you're the girl I thought was going to help win the war. Oh, Blackie, please. <laughs> June, there's no point in your coming here to see me. But, George, I didn't even know you were here in the city. And then to find out what you're doing. How in the world did you ever get started on Just this? Just why should I explain that to you, Joan? I can't understand you. And Dad couldn't either. When you ran away from the ranch five years ago, you broke Dad's heart. And not, not hearing from you after that didn't help any. I don't see why you should complain. Dad left the ranch to you, didn't he? Yes, but what else could he do? But it's worked out all right anyway. You've done a good job, Joan, raising good cattle. That's helped me in my business. But black market, George. You call that a business? I don't go for those names. All I know is I'm making money. And incidentally, Joan, it wasn't in my plans that you should know who I am. And it's your own fault that you do. You got mixed up with this Boston Blackie and I had something to do about it. Well, well, this is convenient, finding the two of you here together. Boston Blackie. Blackie. Well, now who wants to talk first? You, Williams? I got nothing to say to you, Boston Blackie. Oh, I see. How about you, June? I, I can't tell you anything. Well, let me tell you then. Williams, you ought to pick smarter stooges. Or I might say you ought to pick a dumb stooge, one who can't talk. You see, uh, Steve talked. With a little persuasion, of course, but he talked. So, Williams, I know that you're really Parker. June's brother. But, Blackie, I... Now, I June, didn't... that explains a great deal, too. Of course, you made Faraday very happy by pretending not to know me, but you didn't make me very happy. Oh, please, Blackie, you've got to listen to me. Look, I didn't know that my brother was going under the name of Williams. And when I found out, I was so stunned, I, I didn't know what to do. Except I knew I couldn't turn him over to the police. Now I know he deserves to be. Well, sister, I got, huh? Yes, I think so. Blackie, 
You said it was very convenient having two of us here. Well, I think it's very convenient having the two of you here. And this gun is very convenient, too. But I'm not bothering you. Georgie. Georgie, did anyone ever tell you what happens to little boys who play with fire? Both of you stuck your noses into my business. June always did, and I'm used to that. In any way, she's my sister, but I don't have to take it from you, Boston Blackie. Well, you have something there, Georgie. Not to mention the gun. Uh, June, would you please leave the room? If I'm right in supposing what your charming brother intends to do with me, it, uh, well, it won't be very pretty. George, you wouldn't. Now, please, June, do as I say. But Blackie... Please, June. Oh, it's all my fault. I got you into this. I, I didn't know that... Oh, my own brother. Blackie! Oh, oh, Blackie, I, I thought... You know, June, for a man raised on a ranch, your brother isn't very quick on the trigger. Oh, Personally, I'm very glad because it gave me a chance to show him his mistake. Blackie, what did you do to George? Can I see him? Well, a little later. He, he's busy right now, you see... He's got a thousand pounds of steaks hanging in this wholesale plant, and he's looking for one little piece of beef to put on his eye. Yeah, Blackie, I guess I'll forget about you going back on your word. Ha <laughs> ha, good old inspector. <laughs> I had a pretty good reason, you know. Yeah, I know. Anyway... You broke up this black market ring and I got the credit. Thanks. You know, sometimes I find it kind of hard to hate you. Well, keep trying, Inspector. You know, you're much prettier with a worried look on your face. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this kind of this thing kind of calls for a celebration, Blackie. Yeah? You and I break up a black market gang and a million people can buy beef at reasonable prices. What do you think we ought to do? Well, let's see, Inspector. Um, how about coming up to the apartment for a home-cooked steak dinner? Shall I bring anything? Yes. Points. Boston Blackie will be back in just a moment with an interesting preview of next week's program. Meanwhile, let's see now. Uh, there are the dishes, the floors, the woodwork, the tiles, sink, windows. Hey, I could keep this up for hours. Listing the jobs at Rinso will make easier for you. Yes, those same soapy rich suds that are such a help when it comes to washing clothes are great for all the soap and water jobs around the house. So be sure to get Rinso tomorrow, ladies, for dishes, housework, and to keep you singing through wash day like this. Rinso White, Rinso White, happy little wash day song. Rinso White, Rinso White. Bird is singing all day long. Your fine feather friend has a message to send, so listen, you can't go wrong. Rinso White, Rinso White, happy little wash day song. Yeah, Matthews, yeah, I know the guy's dead. You said that. Now listen, did you find the gun? Sure, we found it. It was hooked up inside the radio. When the guy turned the set on, it fired the gun. I get it. Hey, hey, hey was the telephone receiver off the hook? Sure, when we broke down the door. Hey, Inspector, how could you know that? Just so happens, that's the way a guy was killed in the play I've been watching. Somebody lifted the idea, and I've got an idea who that somebody was. Yeah? Who, Inspector? The man who's backing this play, a fellow by the name of Boston Blackie. <laughs> Tough luck, ladies. I mean, about choice cuts of lamb going back on rationing. Means you've got to be smarter than ever at figuring ways to fix the meals your families want. Especially since you don't have as many points as you used to. Well, the smartest thing to do is to get extra points by turning in waste fats. 
You know, your meat dealer will give you cash and two red points for every pound you turn in. So get going. You'll be doing yourself a favor and your country an important service. For used fats are urgently needed for military medicines, armaments, and a host of things so necessary to win this war. Strain every drop into any tin can, no glass containers, please, and turn them in as soon as you have a pound. Be sure to listen at this same time next week for another exciting adventure with Boston Blackie. You can see Chester Morris as Boston Blackie on the screen at your favorite movie theater. Boston Blackie's latest Columbia picture is One Mysterious Night, soon to be released. Richard Lane appears as Inspector Faraday. Music by Charles Cornell. This is Harlow Wilcox saying goodnight for Boston Blackie, brought to you by the makers of Rinso, the soap that gets clothes... And don't forget, tomorrow, when you ask your grocer for the new Rinso, buy a cake of Life Boy at the same time. Life Boy's rich, purifying lather goes right after dirt and perspiration, leaves you feeling extra clean. So use Life Boy daily in your bath or shower. Remember, it's the only soap especially made to stop... This is the National Broadcasting Company. Calcutta, sweetheart, where the dawn comes up like thunder. Sam, what are you talking about? Calcutta? And the flying fishes play. Ready, Effie? Sam, why did you want to go to Calcutta of all places? I didn't, Effie. I hate Calcutta. I was Shanghai. <sighs> to, uh, Mr. Philip J. Fogg, purser, S.S. Lurine. How do you spell that, Sam? L-U-R-E-N-E. Oh, that's pretty. Sam, how could you be shanghai in this day and age? I mean, isn't it against the law? Stow it, Effie. You're pumping bilge water. Sam, I am not. From Samuel Spade, license number 137596, when you have the time, regarding the Calcutta trunk caper. Dear Mr. Fogg, the following report will explain the enclosed voucher, which is a claim against your company for the amount of $500 and no cents. It will also answer any questions you might be asked concerning the recent unpleasantness on board your ship. It all started yesterday morning in San Francisco when my secretary announced briefly and caustically that there was a lady outside who wanted to talk to me. 
I judged that she was worth talking to. She was. Your secretary let me in. Well, I'm glad she did. What can I do for you? I'm Marsha Hopkins. I see. Mrs. Marsha Hopkins. I see. However, my husband is dead. I see. It's about my sister that I've come to you, Mr. Spade. I'm dreadfully worried about her. Uh, who's your sister? Miss Constance Pendleton. And she's become involved with a, a ne'er-do-well, a completely worthless scoundrel and a real foreign bluebeard. All three? It's one man, Mr. Spade, a Bulgarian, Major Andrea Rodnik. They're going to be married this afternoon, and I'm positive that his only interest is in her money. I'm convinced that he's going to kill her soon after the ceremony. He's done it to other wives in Europe. I've warned Constance and pleaded with her, done everything I could to stop it. But she's completely infatuated with him and refuses to listen to me. Mm-hmm. What do you want me to do? Prevent the marriage, if you can. Get the truth about Rodnik's background and face Constance with it. Oh, Mr. Spain, in some way you've got to make her realize the seriousness of the situation. He's a ruthless character. <clears throat> well, do what I can, Mrs. Hopkins. Oh, thank you, Mr. Spade. Oh, I've felt so alone and helpless uh, until now. Oh, really? But you will do everything you can, won't you? We've got to save her life. She daubed at her eyes with a stamp-sized handkerchief, patted the red-gold hair of the temples nervously, smiled at me bravely, and swayed out. By telephone, I learned that the Vrodnik Pendleton marriage license had been issued four days before, and that on the same day, Constance Pendleton had withdrawn a savings account to the tune of $45,000. I'd always wanted to, so I did it. I uh, called at the Bulgarian consulate. What can I do on you? What do you know about Major Andrea Vrodnik? Ha! Andrea Vrodnik! On him we have hate, great sadness, with shame for the ground that walked under him. Oh? Ha! Andrea Vrodnik! Uh, why is he so popular? On the devil he is driven without horns. Six women he has killed. Six times he has insulted the police of Europe by refusing to confess. We have proof of the matters, but never can we prove the proof on him. Yeah, sometimes it goes that way. Ha! Never do we find the bodies of the six women. Only their money in the name of Andrea Vrodnik. My pardon. Well, think nothing of it. You're, uh, you're just upset uh, on you. You're interested on him. Why? You go to Europe? No, uh, Vrodnik comes here. Ha! Here? Here on San Francisco? He marries again? So I'm told. Ha! Oh, by all the means, you must prevent it. Go to him, brave man. You do the world a service. Make violence on him. Even do you hang for it, your name will live. With those valiant words goading me on, I left. The farther I got into the caper, the more it looked as if Marsh's fears for Constance Pendleton were very real and very well-founded. When uh, Constance opened the door of her hotel suite, I could see three trunks and a number of smaller pieces of luggage, all locked and ready to be taken out. Yes? Are you Constance Pendleton? Yes. Uh, I'm a detective. My name is Spade. Detective? What do you want? I uh, want to talk to you about that bluebeard you're going to marry. Get out of here. Uh, you listen, I'll talk, and then I'll get out of here. I just left the Bulgarian consulate. Vrodnik has been accused of the murders of six women in Europe. Each of them were wealthy. Each of them married him, and each time Vrodnik came into all their money. 
Are you trying to blackmail me because of the lies about my fiancé's past? If you are, you're wasting your time. Well, no matter what I'm doing, I'm wasting my time. But to put you straight, your sister hired me, and I am now resigning. She's worried about you, not me. Then you should spend more time investigating your clients, Mr. Spade. You could have saved both of us some time. I have no sister. This is my wedding day. Goodbye, Mr. Spade. As I left the room, I maintained the stern facial expression I reserved for moments of great shock. But once outside the door, I allowed myself to be carried on the wave of rage and embarrassment for just a minute. And I kicked over two potted palms. As I uh, limped down the corridor, I was overtaken by none other than Marcia Hopkins. Did you see her? Let's talk about you first. Did you stop the marriage? Why did you really want that marriage stopped? But I told you. You told me you were her sister. Oh. She said she didn't have any sister. All right, Sam, I did lie to you about that. But I'll tell you who I really am. I don't want to know who you are. I don't ever want to know. All I want from you is my honestly earned fee and a brief but permanent goodbye. Oh, no, Sam, please listen to me. We've got to save that girl. I have $500. That's all I have. Would it be enough? What's your real name? Marsha Brodnick. Yes, he's my husband. I've been married to him for ten years. We've traveled all over Europe, and I never knew where the money was coming from. He left me at times for two weeks or a month, and then when he'd come back, there'd be more money. I just realized that that's when he must have been killing those poor women. And I know that's what he's going to do this time. I just can't stand it. You've got to protect her. That should be easy. We'll let him get married and meet him at the door with a bigamy warrant. Then you will see me through this. I might. Oh. In my bag, there's $500. Take it. If we can't stop the marriage, then don't let him out of your sight. Not even for a minute. He's a beast, Sam. A beast. Marcia dropped me in front of the Beast's Hotel, and I climbed some fake marble steps to the second floor and knocked at his door. The man who opened it was heavy, handsome, in a swarthy, coarse sort of a way, and glowing conceit through two eyes, one monocled, one not. You are facing Major Andreev Rodnik, first Bulgarian horse. What want you? You are facing Saul Fox of the law firm of Fox, Smedley, Van Dusen, and Grip. You overwhelmed yourself. I came here to warn you. If you go through with a marriage to Constance Pendleton, you're going to find yourself tangled with civil law. Warned. Andreev Rodnik, who has personally led more saber charges than you have teeth in your skull. Yes. Who has personally split, slashed, and impaled on his own blade more men than you have fingers and toes. You warned me. What is this talk? You're going to have a bigamy charge slapped on you five minutes after you slip her the ring. The warrant signed by Mrs. Marsha Vrodnik. Bigamy? Ha! I laugh. This is not bigamy. Marsha's your wife, isn't she? That bigamy was committed when I married her. I had another wife then. You call yourself a lawyer, then you know that only the second marriage is bigamy. The ones following that are nothing, nothing but interludes. Okay, Major, go ahead and have your interlude. I'm just warning you. Oh, speaks. We are being married on Redwood City from a justice of the peace one hour previous. Then we are sailing through the SS Lurin at midnight with our honeymoon. Already a droshki awaits for the baggage and luggage. Go now before I'm losing my temper. If you're ever in Calcutta, look me up. Da! (laughs) 
I could see the direct approach was getting me nowhere, so I decided to proceed by stealth. I waited outside the building, and when he left, I tailed him. He made four stops at a second-hand store, a hardware store, a surgical supply house, and an undertaker's supply house. At these places, he purchased the following items. An oversized steamer trunk, black with brass fittings, a large ball of rope twine, two large lead sash weights, a set of surgical instruments, and at the fourth and final stop, the undertaking supply, he bought two items, a 20-foot length of rubber tubing and a pump. He returned to the second-hand store with his other purchases, put them inside the trunk, and ordered it sent up to Constance's hotel immediately, and thereupon, it took himself to the same place. Marsha was waiting in the empty lobby when he went in. I crouched behind a pillar, turned up my hearing aid, and listened. Did you get the thing? Uh, now listen, my darling, we must work fast. Yes. As soon as the trunk arrives, before she has a chance to get to yes, the telephone... Yes, yes, Andre, but please, no cutting in the apartment. As you wish, my darling. Now, you know what you have to do. Yes, While I'm getting her into the trunk, you'll change your clothes, put on her traveling dress, the hat with the... What, what is it? What's the matter? Nothing, nothing. Come, we must make haste. They made haste to the elevators, and I made haste to the row of house telephone booths around the corner and called Constance's room. Hello? Mrs. Rodnick? Speaking. Listen, get out of that room right away. Don't take the elevator, go down the stairs. I haven't got time to explain, and you haven't got time to listen. All those stories about your husband are true. He's going... Hello? Hello? Are you still on the line? My hand clawed out to the door handle, but I couldn't reach it. I felt as if the walls were closing in around me, and just before it got dark, I had the crazy notion that I was inside Brodnick's big black trunk with the brass fittings. I could still hear Constance's voice way off in the distance, somewhere in the direction of Calcutta. I tried to shout to her, to warn her, and then the lid closed over me. I shook my head, trying to get the bells out of it. Then I remembered where I was and what had happened. I was still wedged into the bottom of a phone booth where I'd slumped when Brodnick sapped me. I got out of there somehow and grabbed a taxi for the Embarcadero. The time was 11.55. The SS Lorraine was scheduled to sail at midnight. I was no sooner across it than they hauled up the gangplank and the ship started moving out of the berth. I didn't know where she was bound for and I didn't much care. I checked the passenger list and found that Major and Mrs. Andrea Vrodnik were in stateroom 12, A-deck. One minute later, I was hammering on the door of stateroom 12. The woman in Vrodnik's stateroom was Constance, and she was not in a trunk. I thought I told you to stop interfering in our affairs. Yeah, your husband told me to, but I didn't like the way he did it. Get out from here. Get out. I see you got your trunk in here where it's handy. Doesn't it make the stateroom kind of crowded? Why don't you give up, Mr. Spade? Two times already, you are twice a fool. Marsha has no money to pay you, neither have I, even if she had the case. And believe me, she has not. Oh, why do you even bother talking to him, Andre? Mr. Well, Spade, will you go now, or will I have to call the steward and make a complaint against you? I went. 
I still thought Marsha Hopkins was somewhere on that ship. I still didn't like the look of that trunk. I found the purse's office and went in. You looked at me as if you thought I was a stowaway, Mr. Fogg, and you were right. I'll have to make arrangements for you to ride back with a pilot, Mr. Spade. You realize, of course, that you're subject to a fine. Look, I don't want to do anything illegal. You know, it was uh, just an impulsive thing. Uh, Couldn't I book a passage? Oh, there's a matter of your passport. We could arrange your visa and so on in St. Pedro. We'll put in there in the morning. Well, that's good enough. Uh, How much is the fare? Oh, let me see. That's $483.87, exclusive of tax. Oh, hey, now... Wait, I wasn't thinking of taking quite such an extensive voyage, you know. I just wanted to get a little sea air. And uh, How much to Pedro? Well, I'm afraid you don't understand, Mr. Spade. This is not a coastwise steamer. Our first official port of call is Calcutta. Yeah, I know, but... Calcutta? That's in India. Well, uh, uh, don't you have something a little less expensive, like uh, steerage or... Uh... There is only one stateroom available, number 14A deck. Take it or leave it. Okay, okay, Calcutta. After buying my passage to Calcutta, I had exactly 12 cents left. This I gave to the steward who showed me to my stateroom. He uh, thanked me, kicked me in the shins, and left. Out on deck, a tall, red-nosed old gentleman in knickerbockers and a yachting cap was taking a turn around the deck. With him was a face I'd seen in the morning lineup down at the Hall of Justice a dozen times. He was a hotel thief by profession, name of Norman Gorman. He knew me, too, but he didn't give me a tumble. I fell into step with him. Ah, see <laughs> Nothing like it, am I right? Yeah, I guess it's okay, but there's so much of it. Ah, uh, brisk, bracing, salt spray. Nothing like it. <laughs> oh, hey, Norman, my lad. I hate it. I hate boats. Suppose there was a fire on board. Fire? Oh, ridiculous. Is this your first voyage to the Orient? Yeah. Uh, the inscrutable East. You've made this trip before? Oh, yes, indeed. I've worked this line. I, I mean, uh, yes, indeed. I make this voyage very often. Business interest out in India. Tea, you know. Runs in my family. Sturgis's golden orange in the little yellow package. Ever tried it? Uh, no, I never indulge. Huh? Don't drink tea? That's ridiculous. Commodore, I need a drink. I ain't happy. Suppose there was a fire on board here. Ah. Well, let's all have a drink. Yeah, suppose there was Shall a we? fire. Come on, I'll shot you to a drink, sir. Uh, not me, Commodore. I, uh, just remember this is fire prevention week. <laughs> The nearest fire alarm to Brodnick's stateroom was on the companionway leading to the A-deck corridor. It was a glass-enclosed box with a small hammer hanging on a chain. I broke the glass and turned the key. In three seconds flat, the entire population of A-deck were shoving each other up the companionway, grabbing for life preservers as they went. The steward hammered on the door of stateroom 12, opened it, shouted inside, and Brodnick and Constance reluctantly came out. I ducked inside, grabbed the handle of the trunk, and started dragging it. When I got it into my stateroom, I broke the lock and lifted the lid. It was Marsha, all right. There was just time to see that before the stateroom door flew open and the ship's officer stuck I, his head in. I said, you? Didn't you hear the alarm? Why, uh, no, I didn't. What's wrong? Never mind that. Here, take this life preserver. Get going Okay, now. okay, on. don't touch me. It makes me nervous. <laughs> Twenty-five 
Twenty minutes later, the captain announced to the mob up on the deck that it was a false alarm, and the passengers drifted back to their cabins. I tried to look casual as I unlocked my stateroom door and walked in. Then I stopped trying. The trunk was still there, but the lid was standing open, and it was empty. I went down to B deck and found the cabin occupied by Norm and the Commodore. That door was locked, so I kicked it in. You could still see the marks on her wrists and ankles with a cord. It was the girl I had seen in the trunk. It was Marsha Hopkins, and she was very much alive. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was... Oh, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You've got to help me, Sam. Why should I help you? He's crazy. They're both crazy. It all depends on who's in the trunk, doesn't it, Marsha? When it was Constance, you didn't think he was so crazy. Oh, don't you understand? I had to pretend that I'd help him. He was going to kill her right there in the hotel room. I told him it was too dangerous. If anybody looked in the trunk, it would be safer if she was in there alive. So he finally agreed and said he'd wait until we got out to sea to kill her. And then he was Yeah, I know to... about that. Oh, the idea was so awful. I, I couldn't stand it. I started to scream, and then he stuffed the gag in my mouth and tied me up. He must have used chloroform or something, because the next thing I knew, I, I was in the trunk. And that little dark man was leaning over me. He and that old man with the knickers, they brought me here. <laughs> so they pulled a switch on you. You were the fall gal all along. Oh, you've got to believe me. It was the only way I could save her life. You're the only one I can turn to, Sam. That little thief and the old man, they'd deliver me dead if there was an extra $25 in it. Oh, say you'll help me, Sam. Please say it. Well, when you ask me like that, what, what else can I say? Oh, you do believe me, darling. You do believe me. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm sorry, Mr. Spade. Please step back inside. <coughs> I promised my associate, Mr. Gorman, that I would not allow this young lady to risk her life by leaving this cabin. You're getting into this cave at the wrong end, Commodore. It's wound up. They've bungled it. It's no good anymore. You may be right. But you understand my position, sir. I can't take any chances. You've uh, talked to Mr. Gorman? Norm? Yeah, I talked to him. He took you into his confidence? Stop making with the pistol, Commodore. You don't know how to use it anyway. Oh, heavens, Norm, you... You're as white as a sheet. What is it? Oh, he, he's sick. Go go get a doctor. Yes, yes, indeed. Right away. Listen, Spade. Take her with you. Get out of here. I don't want no part of this. You got it bad, Norm. I'm sick, I tell you. The way I had it sized, this was a clean caper, a snatch. I figured the dame here's an heiress or something. Maybe they drop her off in L.A., correct some, connect some ransom and go on. I, I figured there was enough for all of us. Oh, but that creep, that Rodnick, he's crazy. He's a regular Jack the Ripper. Stop babbling, Norm. Tell me what happened, exactly what happened. I get a sinking feeling in my stomach every time I think about it. Well, I go in, see? He's very smooth, very businesslike. He offers me a drink. I accept it. He mixes a couple of highballs for me and the dame, and then he starts talking. I guess she don't know all about it before this, because she gets just sick as I do. First, I think he's kidding. Then he drags out this set of cutlery like a doctor uses to operate on people. Only he's got something else in mind. The portal, you understand? Oh, please. I don't want to hear anymore. Being as it's you he has in mind, I don't blame you. My, my stomach... Hey, Norm. Norm. Oh, here he is, the ship surgeon. Uh, oh, dear me. What? 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 Uh, uh, stand away from him, please. Help me get him into the bunk. Sure, Doctor. Take the shade off that light, please. 
Ah, uh, yes, yes. He's dead, isn't he? Oh, yes, he's dead, of course. Who poisoned him? I didn't waste any time answering him. I grabbed him by the arm. Before he could object, I was pushing him up the companionway to A-deck. It was probably too late to save Constance's life if she'd drunk the same poison, and I was pretty sure she had, but if I was going to nail him for the murder of Constance, I had to get there before the evidence vanished. We got there just in time. I don't need to tell you what we saw, and I'd rather not. Brodnick rose slowly to his feet, clicked his heels military fashion, and bowed very low. Ah, the ship's surgeon. How opportune. Perhaps you could advise me, Doctor. After all, I am, in all honesty, even still a mere amateur at this sort of thing. After Vrodnik had been taken into custody, we took another turn around the deck. It was daylight, and the ship was lying too off San Pedro. This time, the fresh air really felt good, and so did Marcia. It's all over, Sam. Yes, sweetheart, it's all over. But not between us. Say it, Sam. Say it's not all over between us. How can it be? I knew it. I knew you felt the same way. All my life before, it's been like a terrible nightmare. Never really happened. But it did happen, sweetheart. Oh, but you can forget it, darling, can't you? Please forget it. I'd like to, Marcia. I really would. Hold me close, Sam. Never let me go. You're beautiful. Is that all, Sam? Nothing else? Yeah. Lots else. That's why I think we'd better say goodbye right now. Because when I feel like this, I get foolish. And if I get foolish with you, I'm likely to wake up in a trunk someplace. And that, Mr. Fogg, is the true account of the Calcutta trunk caper. As my voyage was interrupted through no fault of my own, I trust you will advise your company to refund my passage minus the one-way trip to San Pedro. Uh, period, and a report. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duck. This part of the podcast is sponsored by Understanding the Bible Made Easy. Are you looking to better understand the Bible? Then look no further than Understanding the Bible Made Easy. This book is a perfect companion for anyone looking to explore the Bible in a comprehensive and easy-to-understand way. With clear explanations, helpful tips, this book will help you gain a deeper understanding of the Bible so you can start applying its teachings to your life right away. Get your copy of Understanding the Bible Made Easy from Amazon or check out the link at the top of our show notes. Can help at 11. That's it. Try it, huh? Wheaties. Tomorrow. It was a great night. Chilly as I walked hunched against the rain, stopping long enough to catch the sweetness and light in the headlines. H-bomb menace, traffic toll mounts, murderers to die this morning in the electric chair. Okay, people, keep it up. You're doing fine. But I had my own worries, wondering where my ever-loving story had come from tonight. It hit me before I expected it. A little kid, six, maybe, came running at me and into me before I could step aside. Well, you better get those brakes relined, fella. Let me go. 
go. Let me go. Okay, okay. Where to? I, I'm on the way. I... All right, all right. Now you get your breath for the second lap. They're coming after me. Oh, who? I want to go to my mom. I thought you were running away. I, uh... Wait a second. What's this? My money. A hundred dollar bill? It's mine. Just a little loose change, huh? Please give it back to me. I gotta get a bus. Where do you live? I... I want to go to... To 616 Wolverton. Mm-hmm. Wolverton's quite a piece from here. They're coming. They're coming after me. Who? In their auto. See? Hmm. Looks like we're surrounded, kiddo. Take it easy for a second. It's him. You've been a bad boy, Marty. Running away like this. You ain't gonna take me back. Uh, you're a kid, mister? No. What's the angle here? The kid ran away from his old man. I didn't. My father's dead. Sure. He always says that. Now, come on, Marty. No. Seems he doesn't want to go with you. He will. Or maybe not. I'd like to know Shut up. Eddie, back. Big boys. Yeah. Mister, you just forget all about this. Marty, get in the car. Get away from that kid. Eddie, Mac. Don't. Don't hit him. Don't. That's a sample. Open your trap again and you get the rest. Come on, let's go. Before my eyes closed all the way, I saw them hustle the kid into the car. It began to move away, glided under a street lamp, and from the rear window a face looked out. Jerry McCallum. The brains behind almost any illegitimate enterprise you could name. Nothing too small or too big for Jerry if it made a nickel. From what I saw of McCallum's face, he could have gone in right then for murder. Mine. A half hour later, after some minor repairs on my face, I dropped in to see Sergeant Kalski. I asked some questions, and I got some answers. McCallum had never gone in for kidnapping, and no cop had stick his neck out without positive proof. If I wanted to go slumming, I was going alone. It wasn't far to McCallum's place, but knowing where he lived and getting to see him were two different things. However, I had a hunch that Jerry McCallum had seen me. I made sure of it by sending him a note with one word on it, Marty. McCallum had me shown in. He smiled at me from behind a marble-topped desk, flanked by two of his boys, one of them my playmate of a little earlier. Oh, he's glad to see a newspaper boy, Stone. You fellas print rough stuff once in a while, but it makes good for circulation, huh? True or not? Yeah, sure. You know, we uh, make up those things printed about you. Give us... So, what do you want tonight, Stone? For a starter, uh, ten minutes alone with Loverboy there, the one on your right. Willie Bigger? Why? Yes. Now, Willie hasn't been... I know. Hasn't been out of your sight for a week. In fact, about 40 minutes ago, he was baking a cake. Okay, forget it. Good idea. Where's the kid, Marty? Yep. Do you like children? Yeah, until they grow up. They're nice people. The kid's none of your business, Stone. Yet I'm curious. Along comes a kid with a hundred dollars. That all? Well, he took it. I I keep lots of dough around here and drawers everywhere. The kid grabbed some and beat it. Why? Because he wanted to go home? Did he say where? I, uh, no. No, he didn't. Okay, then. This is his home. What would you say if I told you he was my kid? Nothing. I'd be speechless. Stone, forget this whole thing. You've got nothing. Nothing. Whatever you're thinking is your idea, and that's as far as we go. That's as far as you go? Both of us. Now beat it. Don't crowd your luck. Okay. There's nothing I can prove, but it makes a good story. It's good reading. You got no finish to it. 
Now, Frank Stockton wrote a story once, The Lady and the Tiger. There's no finish to that one either, but it caused more comment that way. You're not scaring me, Stone. People can ask all the questions they want after tomorrow. After tomorrow? Mr. McCallum, why after tomorrow? I'm sick of looking at you. I'm even sicker of listening to you. Now, get out. Oh, by the way, Mr. Get out. Yeah, one thing more, though. A friend of mine, a cop named Kowski, knows that I came here. I'm telling you in case my back looks inviting when I walk out. So long. On the way down to the street, that tight feeling grabbed my throat, made my nose itch and my eyes water. I kept my shoulders hunched against a bullet or a knife, but nothing came. Why not? I asked that a thousand times before I hit the street. I knew I didn't scare McCallum when I told him about Kalski. McCallum had a million ways to rub out anybody who got in his way and a million alibis to keep himself clear. He'd done it before. But me, he let go. Why? He said, after tomorrow. He didn't want anything to happen until after tomorrow. I kept thinking and kept walking. And then something began to go around on the back of my head. McCallum tomorrow. McCallum tomorrow. And suddenly it hit. All about the electric ocean PR. Paper, mister? Uh, yeah, star. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nice morning for somebody to sit in a hot seat, huh? Yeah. Classy-looking dame, too. Now, why fry something like that? There's a million dollars that you'd better burn. McCallum's girlfriend. McCallum's. Yeah, where you been, mister? Everybody knows that. Yeah, but you forget things when they're not uh, close to you. Uh, yeah. Uh, Classy-looking dame. Never think a doll like that a bump a husband, huh? I'm gonna fry it. it... Hey, mister, you sick or something? Or uh, something, yeah. Bud, you ever get a great big hunch? Once. I lost. I might, too, but it's worth a try. I grabbed a cab. I thought maybe some of McCallum's boys were tailing me, so I had the driver cut back and forth. Then, when I was sure we were clean, I had him drive to McCallum's apartment house and park down the street a few doors. Are this okay, mister? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Turn off your motor. Okay, but I gotta leave the meter ticking. That's okay. Now, listen, now, turn off your lights. Uh, you... What? Look, I'm Randy Stone, Chicago Star. Here's my press card. Okay, okay. Hey, what's up? You take this newspaper? It is. What do I do with it? I pretend you're reading it. All right. You want a story? Yeah. Now, look, don't pay any attention to anything. You're just parked. You're waiting for a fare. You're reading that paper. Understand? I get it. Hey, well, what about you? I'll sit back. Think anybody can see me from the outside? Nah. Not if you sit in the corner. Nah. Okay. Now, just sit and read the paper. Okay. I guess this dame's going to cook, eh? Uh, yeah. You'd think a big shed like McCallan would be able to get his doll off a rat. Eh, but he didn't. I wonder. You wonder? Eh. Mister, at midnight she gets it. They pull a switch. Then, zzz, no more Lorraine Adams. Eh, ain't much to wonder about. Once hold they it, pull hold it, it in... Hmm? Hold it, pretend to read the paper. Hmm. Can you see? Yeah. Some guys are coming out. You see? Yeah. Oh, they're, they're looking this way. Don't look up. One of them's coming this way. Okay, start your motor. Start pulling out. Yeah. We've got to go right past him. You better squeeze hard against that back seat. I'm all right. Don't go too fast. You know, just as though you're cruising for a fare. Okay. It's okay. They ain't looking at us. Hey, 
pin Mr. Stone. Did you see that thing that was... Yeah, yeah, get past. Then step on it around the corner. Mister, I ain't sure what I seen, but there was a dame just coming out of the lobby. I only got a quick look at her face. Yeah, but... yeah, so did I. What did you see? Well, if that dame was in this doll in the paper, I'll buy a horse. Yeah, so we're even. We're both crazy. I saw her, too. Lorraine Adams. How do you convince a night editor you haven't suddenly walked out from under your head? How do you do it even when you've got proof of something that sounds and looks crazy? I listened to my editor, Matt Kamel. You're nuts, both of you. Stay in out of the night air. Yeah, but both of us saw the driver. I got eyes. Yeah? You want to take any bets, either of you? Oh, wait till that call comes through, Matt. When that call from Joliet comes through, five will get you a tax-free ten that Lorraine Adams is sitting in the death cell right now. She's not. All you've got is a yarn about a kid wandering around holding a hundred bucks in his hot little hand. There's no record of any kidnapping, any... Look, uh, look. Lorraine Adams killed her husband because she was McCallum's girlfriend. You remember the trial? She pleaded not guilty, self-defense. Yeah, but it didn't stick. Public sentiment was against her. Yes, and no appeal, nothing. Jerry McCallum didn't raise a finger to get her off. Why not? Why not, Matt? Couldn't, that's all. With his battery of high-priced lawyers and with his connections? Okay, okay. What's your best? That Lorraine Adams is free right now. I don't know how. I don't know what the kid Marty has to do with it, but... There's a call, Andy. Hold your hat. Matt Connell here. Okay, put it through. Landy. One. Putting up a fine? Oh, on the line. Okay. Now, uh, 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 hello. Yeah. Uh, look, uh, Stromberg. You're covering the uh, Lorraine Adams electrocution, aren't you? Uh-huh. Well, listen. This is going to sound nuts. But is Lorraine Adams still in the death cell? Oh, you don't say. Okay, CR, thanks. Uh, no, that's all. So long. All right, all right, Matt. Give. You know what I'm going to do with this five spot? Buy you a jacket with sleeves that tie in the back. What did Stromberg say? The Lorraine Adams execution is scheduled tonight as planned. The chaplain is with Lorraine Adams right now because at midnight, in uh, exactly two hours and ten minutes, she burns. General Mills is bringing you Nightbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. See how Wheaties at 7 can help at 11. Uh, same a friend. Yes, Frank? Isn't there some way you could put a little more oomph into that line? You mean like this, maybe? See how Wheaties at 7 can help at 11. Well, um... Or see how Wheaties at 7 can help at 11. There, there, that's it. See how Wheaties at 7 can help at 11. Because they really can. They're whole wheat, you see. I guess everybody knows about the snap and energy you get from whole wheat. Why, you start breakfast with a big bowl of Wheaties and the whole morning just seems to slide along easier. Big chores don't look so big. Long hours don't seem so long. People seem pleasanter when you've had your Wheaties. And you know why? It's just that Wheaties have lots of vitamins and minerals, lots of solid nourishment, the kind you need to look a tough task right in the eye. Wheaties taste good, too. Crisp and nice to munch on, a nice, sunny, nut-sweet taste to them. A good, satisfying flavor that keeps on tasting like more, no matter how often you eat them. You see, when you eat good, you feel good. It's simple as that. And now, my friend, would you just try that line again? See how Wheaties at 7 can help at 11. That way, because they really can, you know. Try it. Wheaties. <laughs> 
And now back to Nightbeat and Randy Stone. In two hours and ten minutes, Lorraine Adams would go to the electric chair. What I saw and the cab driver saw right in the middle of Chicago, free as a bird. I checked some more after I left the office. The police went along with the gag and checked the prison. Yes, the girl in the death cell was Lorraine Adams. Her fingerprints proved it. But then who was the girl the cab driver and I saw? Was McCallum going to work a switch at the last minute? Fantastic. Sure, but McCallum might be able to work it. And how did little Marty tie in? What did a six-year-old kid have to do with it? Well, I had until midnight to learn a lot of things. There was only one place to start. 616 Wolverton, the address Marty had given me. It was a cheap boarding house. I had the driver wait. I knocked on the manager's door. It took three minutes to get her out of bed, and she wasn't happy. Oh, what do you want, huh? What's the idea, huh? Uh, Randy Stone, Chicago Star. I take a newspaper. You selling papers this time in the morning? Oh, no. Listen to me, will you? Magazines I... all day, newspapers in the middle of the night. Here, take this and listen. Ten bucks? For what? Does a little kid live here? His name was Marty, about six, brown hair, cute little guy. Are you kidding? That was four or five months ago. But he lived here? With his mother. His mother? What did she look like? Ask my husband. Where did she go? Only one thing I can tell. She worked at a joint called, uh, uh, the, um... Oh, come on now, come on. The Blue Harris. Yeah, I said, Blue Harris. Your hat, sir, may I check it for you? No, thanks, honey. That clock behind you, is it right? Sure. It's only 10 to 11. The night is young. You want to bet? How long you been here? A year, maybe. Why? Well, I won't check my hat, but I'll leave this with you. For five dollars, you could leave a diving suit. Who do I kill? A girl used to work here. She had a little boy. A little boy named Marty. I don't remember. Oh, yes, you do, baby. Your face shows it. So I need makeup. You've seen the kid, haven't you? You knew his mother? Look, mister. I don't know anything that goes on. I check hats and coats. That's why Mr. McCallum pays me. McCallum? Oh, the blue heron is one of his spots. Oh, go away now, will you? Did you like the girl? She... She was a sweet kid. Well, then help her. She's in trouble. I don't know anything, but there was a guy, a knocked-out musician, trombone player. He, he went for her. Find him. Where? What's his name? Harry Aaron. He used to play here, but when Peggy left... Peggy? He... Yeah, Peggy. She... Hey... You don't even know her name. What do you want? Where can I find Harry Aaron? You get out of here. Beat it. Take it easy. Get out before I call the bouncer. With the clock getting ahead of me, I looked up Harry Aaron in the musician's directory. With only an hour and ten minutes left, I tried to find him. Yes, he played here, he played there. He was a good boy, but he was always high. I covered one spot after another. Time running out. An hour left. Fifty minutes. And then finally I hit a rooming house. One of those places where you stay up all day and all night. Anybody goes to sleep, he's a curiosity. There was a jam session going on, and I headed for the music. Five boys were swinging high, but the trombone player was the one I wanted. Skinny, pale face over with perspiration drenched hair. I walked over to him. Hiya, Harry. Harry! yourself out, grab anything, cut in. What do you play? Nothing. What do you drink? Nothing. 
What are you living for? Harry, Harry, come on off the ceiling. Can you hear me? I want to talk about Peggy. Peggy! What? What do you say? I want to talk about Peggy. You remember? What about her? What about Peggy? Let's get out of here, Harry. There's a coffee shop down the street. Hey, buy me a drink, huh? All right, all right. But come on, huh? Hey, wait, 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 wait a second. Wait. Listen to that beat, boy. It's like a train running inside. (laughs) Grab anything. Cut in any place. Peggy. Harry. Harry. Peggy. Yeah. You you said Peggy? Harry, you got to come with me. You've got to talk. We got 40 minutes, Harry. And after that, it's kiss the boys goodbye. I made him drink coffee strong and black. And I made him walk until his head cleared up a little, but it took time. Time and only 30 minutes of it left before that execution. And then we sat and talked. What do you want from me? I'm knocked out, me. The top is all gone, inside gone. What do you want from me? Peggy, where is she? And why did she leave? Who are you? I'm Stone, Chicago star. Now listen to me. You remember Marty? Marty, sure. It's Peggy's kid. I got a picture of her right here. Hey, That's Peggy and that's Marty right there. Peggy? This is Peggy? Yeah. Dark hair, you... Bleach it blonde and she look, Harry. Talk fast. I don't I don't know what we'll get, but tell me when you saw Piggy last and what she said. She was going away. With him. McCallum. McCallum, why? It was one night after the show. She was in the line. She was you know, the chorus. Yep. I, I went to see her. I found her packing, packing a suitcase. Well, she didn't tell me before that she was walking out. She just looked at me. Say goodbye fast, Harry. Real fast. Well, why, kid? What's all the rush? I can't tell you, Harry. Only you're not going to see me anymore. Oh, yeah, I get it. You don't, Harry. You don't at all. Sure, McCallum. I know. We talked a long time to you yesterday. It's nothing to do with McCallum. No, sure not. It's nothing to do with a knocked-out horn player either, huh? Oh, Harry. Don't talk like that. Okay, I'll play it for you sometime. Twenty choruses. I don't blame you, Peggy. I got a kid. Marty. I'm sick, you know that. Got maybe a year. Doc said so. What happens to the kid then? What happens well, to me? Well, me, I could... Well, no. Maybe I... I ain't gonna have Marty eaten off the trunk. Crackers and milk three times a day. Now, what's McCallum gonna do for him? Say goodbye, Harry. Please. You know I love you? You know that? Yes. It means nothing to you. Huh? For the love get out of here. Don't stand there just looking at me. I won't be able to go through with it. I won't. And I got Harry for my kid. Well, that's all. That's all I know. When did that happen? Five, uh... Yeah, five months ago. Just before Lorraine Adams went to trial for murder. What are you talking about? Look. This is Lorraine Adams' picture in the paper. Here's Peggy. See, bleach Peggy's hair, and she's Lorraine Adams. McCallum saw that. You're crazy, Stone. You're crazy. McCallum couldn't make the switch. He did it before the trial. Lorraine Adams gave herself up a week after she killed her husband. But it wasn't Lorraine. It was Peggy. Crazy. It's crazy. No. Less than half an hour, Peggy will go to the electric chair in place of Lorraine Adams. What? Well, get her out. You gotta do something. Our only proof is Marty, but he's at McCallum's place. Stone, she's gonna die. You said it. She's gonna die. Stone, do something. Well, I'm going to Joliet to see the warden. You gotta do something too, Harry. Find Marty. 
It's preposterous, Mr. Stone. Impossible. But it was done, Warden. And in ten minutes, a girl will go to the chair. Ten minutes. I called the governor. He's left it up to me. Well, then stop the execution. I can do that only if this girl admits she's not Lorraine Adams. I've broken a rule, Stone, on the strength of what you've told me. The girl is being brought here to the visiting room to talk to you. And what if she doesn't admit? There's no proof. The execution is scheduled. Oh, where is that Harry? Warden, she's here. We'll bring her in, Chapel. Hello, Peggy. What is your name? I am Lorraine Adams. Chaplain, this girl is not Lorraine Adams. Didn't she tell you that? What she told me, I... I cannot tell you. Yeah, but in a case like I this... I confess my crime to him and to God. Yes, that you took Lorraine Adams' place. You were tried, convicted, sentenced, and you'll die. In less than ten minutes, you'll die. I am Lorraine Adams. You took her place. You gave yourself up in her place. That's why the real Lorraine Adams was gone for a week, to give you time to bleach your hair and... I killed my husband. You're killing yourself. For what? For Marty? For your boy? No, Peggy, no. Peggy, why don't you... There's nothing else to say. Look, you made a bargain with McCallum. What kind of a bargain? You'd never see your son again? You only had a year to live, but in that year you'd have had him. And what did you leave him to? A vicious gangster who'll never keep his promise to you. You'll die, Peggy, and so will Marty. Yes, he'll die, too. As you know him, he'll be dead. Think what he'll be living with a rat like that. I'm Lorraine Adams. Lorraine Adams. Oh, Warden, I... I can't believe she'd lie now. She's facing death stone. She can't lie. But she is for her boy. She would. She would. Huh? Uh, wait a moment. Marty! Let him go, Kemp. Mom, I, I've been looking lots of places. Mom, it's me, Mom. You, you got different hair. No, Mom, you, you ain't mad at me. <laughs> oh, Marty, Marty, baby, baby. Harry brought me, Mom. He's hurt. Where is he? Out here, Mr. Stone. Hiya, Harry. Hiya, Stone. Did I get here in time? Yeah, in time, Harry. Uh, that's real out of this world. How did you get McCallum? A long time ago, I, I bought a gun. I, I never used it until tonight. Warden. I'll get the girl. All right, Peggy. Hi, Peggy. Hi. Harry. Had a hard time trying to get in here. Take it easy, Harry. Sure. Peggy, I go... Oh, brother. Am I a knocked-out character? For sure. Love, L-O-V-E. Spell it one way, interpret it a hundred ways. McCallum's for Lorraine Adams, be willing to wreck anyone else's life. Peggy's for Marty, Harry's for Peggy. Yeah, it's love that makes the world go round. It all depends on who does the spinning. <laughs> Copy, boy.
are listening to Night Beat on the Wheaties Big Parade. Oh, Frank Lovejoy, you have a guest. I have? Oh, so I have. Welcome, Joe McCray. Hello, Frank. I enjoyed your show. Thank you very much, Joe. I understand that you have a new program that's joining the Wheaties Big Parade. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. Yes, I'm turning into a Texas Ranger for our new Saturday night program beginning this week. A Texas Ranger for real, huh? Well, pretty much for real. These are real stories from the files of the Texas Rangers, you know. Just like your show, Nightbeat. It's pretty dramatic stuff. You'll have fun doing them, Joel, and I know that we'll enjoy hearing you. Tonight now... Oh, wait a minute. Say, uh... Have you got the password? Password? Oh, sure. Wheaties. That's right. <laughs> Night, Joel. Thank you, gentlemen. Nightbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy, is produced and directed by Warren Lewis and edited by Larry Marcus. Tonight's story was written by Russell Hughes from an idea by Bill Kalak with music by Frank Worth. Those in tonight's cast were Lorene Tuttle, David Ellis, Joan Banks, Peter Leeds, Rick Vallon, Herb Butterfield, and Peter Votrian. Listen next week at this time and every week as Randy Stone searches through the city for the strange stories waiting for him in the darkness. Tuesday, that's tomorrow, listen to the Penny Singleton Show on the Wheaties Big Parade. The preceding was transcribed. Jack Late brings you a fund of interesting stories Friday on NBC. This portion of the podcast is sponsored by the Christian Devotional and Prayer Journal for Women. Are you looking for a guided Christian devotional and undated journal to help you deepen your faith and prayer life? Well, look no further. The Women's Bible Studying Devotional is designed to help you explore the Bible in a meaningful way and to develop the habit of regular devotion and prayer. The guide provides scripture-based lessons and activities that will help you draw closer to God and gain an understanding of the Bible's teachings. You can get your copy from Amazon or you can see the link at the top of our show notes.